Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello and welcome into At The Yard presented by Team Toyota. I'm Corey Seidman joined by Jim Salisbury for a holiday edition of the old podcast. And, you know, this decade is winding down. It's kind of crazy to think about all that the Phillies experienced, all that they went through over this decade. I mean, it began with such promise, you know, the best regular season in franchise history two years into the decade. But now here we are at the end of the decade and, you know, eight straight non-winning seasons, although the Phillies have gone from uh, hopeless to hopeful. Jim, let's begin at the beginning of the decade, okay? Oh, that's an REM reference. Begin the begin. All right. Well... You know, Charlie Manuel, you'll remember, was still here 2010, 2011. Uh, that period, those were successful years. But it was the end. It was like kind of the beginning of the end. And there was a kind of a, a one pivotal cutoff point in the playoffs in 2011. You're going to write about this at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. But can we, can we kind of relive one of the most painful nights in Philly's history oh. back in 2011? Yeah. And before we do that, you mentioned, you know, big picture in the decade. Right. It was, there was this like... Charles Dickens element to it, and I know it's a cliche, the best of times and the worst of times, mm -hmm. but it kind of felt like that in this decade. Like you mentioned, best team uh, in franchise history in 2011, and then, you know, several, by the end of the decade, several um, 96, 97, 99 lost seasons, worst record in the majors, a painful rebuild, and now some hope. So it was really the best of times, uh, the end of that um, five-year run where they won five division titles, uh, went to two World Series and won one of them, had some of the greatest players in franchise history to um, just, you know, the worst team in the majors, uh, ugly rebuild, and now just emerging from it. So an interesting decade at the very least. Um, but, you know, getting back to that. Well, so also know. a decade that involved like philosophical changes. Oh. I mean, the Phillies. Monumental change in this organization. The, the Phillies went from a, a, an organization that was more eye test and scouting based and avoided analytics, maybe not entirely, but more so than several of the, the, the cutting edge organizations during that period to building an analytics department and hiring a manager who was focused on analytics and hiring a general manager who was focused on uh, that kind of evaluation method. So, in that way, man, the Phillies at the beginning of the decade to the end of it are, you know, they went from being, would you say, toward the back of baseball in, in the emergence of analytics? Absolutely. The, right. To, Absolutely. To, One of the uh, old guard teams. I mean, this was an organization, uh, the, the organization of Paul Owens and Dallas Green, um, two club icons uh, that were scouts at heart and had great, great success, built some great teams um, through as you said, the eye test through scouting, uh, through scouting head and heart, head and heart, you know, baseball IQ and, 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 and intangibles, mm -hmm. they would scout those things. And then you look at that great team, uh, that great area era from uh, 07 through 2011, all those great players, Ryan Howard, Chase Utley, you know, Jimmy Rollins, Cole Hamels, those 
teams were built also in that image through really great scouting. You know, taking a chance on Cole Hamels after he had broken his arm in high school. Um, you know, bearing down on Chase Utley and, and, and knowing that he was going to hit at the big league level, even if he had defensive shortcomings. Staying on Ryan Howard when he was a, a projected first rounder, had a poor junior season at at um, Missouri State and, 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 and spending a fifth round pick on him when a lot, a lot of franchises uh, and teams had doubts uh, about his viability as a major leaguer, landing him through just good scouting and sticking with him. Jimmy Rollins, who um, many teams feared was just too small to be a big leaguer, uh, you know, they, they stayed on him and plucked him in the second round in what I think it was 96. So, um, How about someone like Ryan Madsen, too? I mean, a Ryan guy Madsen, a another role. great piece of scouting. He was a kid that was um, uh, signed with USC. And back in the Mike Arbuckle, Marty Wolliver, and I'm sure I'm leaving out, and I apologize, an area scout or three, um, they bared down on him in Southern California and um, talked him out of, paid him, you know, bought him out of his uh, USC commitment. I think he was a seventh, eighth, ninth rounder. And um, had a great, I would say, a great career. Sure did. Um, now, the flip so, side the flip side of that is that a decade later, when all those players were in the majors and in their primes and in that win-now period, one of the major reasons the Phillies' rebuild was as painful as it was mm -hmm. is because they struck out on a lot of high draft picks during that era. A lot of first-round picks that were busts, guys who were, you know, the Phillies during that period were really focused on toolsy guys at the top of the yeah. draft, right? And, 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 I mean, I think of, like, Anthony Hewitt, Larry Green, some of these names. Hewitt was actually a previous decade. I think he was 08. Okay. But I, he kind of symbolized uh, a thinking in their scouting that they, they went for real high-ceiling athletes that um, still, that you really had to dream on the development process. And if it clicked, you had a great player, an all-star. But if it didn't click, uh, you spent a high-round pick on, on a guy that's not going to make it. Very, very risky picks. And, um... You know, it, it kind of, you know, there was a, all those guys they had success with drafting, um, you know, in, in early in the 2000s. Then they, 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 had, a, uh, they had a lot of misses uh, closer to this decade, and um, that really hurt them. Now, I think you also have to point out they were drafting much lower right. in their success years. Right. You know, there was one year, I wrote down some picks here. In 2012, I think their first pick was number 40. And, you know, and um, was that Shane Watson? That was Shane Watson. Larry Green in 2011 was number 39. Um, now, granted, there were good players that went under them, but when you're picking up at the top, like Houston was all those years, right. um, or the Nationals, or yeah. the, you know, you're gonna you're gonna get the cream of the crop, and, and you need to deliver on those. But yeah, they 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 had some some poor drafts that, um, if they had better drafts, would have uh, kick started the rebuild and, and moved it even more quickly so in 2008 uh, the Phillies were not expected to win it all that year the, the real pinnacle of the Phillies dominance was at 11 mm -hmm. uh, that, that team just dominated for six straight months at the end of the season they had a, a, a bad stretch at the wrong time yep. you know bad, bad week at the wrong bad time. week at the wrong because that team with that team lost eight straight at the end of the year a lot of people after they that. clinched um, that 2011 team and you know, I remember when they 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 signed Cliff Lee um, right about Christmas time, um, right around the holidays, and uh, December of 2010. You're thinking, wow, they have Oswalt and Halliday and Hamels and Joe Blanton, and now they have Cliff Lee. Like this team's going to do something insanely special. Right. 
and they did. <laughs> they won. They won 102 games, and after they clinched, they lost eight in a row. So they won 102 games with an eight-game losing streak. That's kind of hard to yeah, do. It sure is. It sure is. And so they the, had that great nucleus of the Utleys and the, uh, and the Rollins and the Howard, and now you add the, the greatest pitching staff in franchise history, one of the greatest in Major League history, really. I'm not going to sit down and you know, carve up the numbers, but I think they... You remember how much They're going to rate right there. There was so much insane hype around that rotation because Roy Oswald... they delivered. Roy Oswald was the fourth piece in that rotation, which is it's crazy. I mean, he didn't he didn't meet the expectations personally, but the other three guys had tremendous seasons rotation in, was, in was 2011. And, 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 um, so many yeah. sub-three-hour games, like 2.30 with, when Halliday and Lee were on the mound. That was... I just... That that period, it's like every fifth day, Halliday, it was an event watching him. It know? was. And, and every, you're watching greatness. And the same with Lee. And to, to have that 40% of your games is just crazy. And Hamels, too. Hamels was a great one. He's that, still going. But I want to say that was his best season. I think he had like a 2.790 ERA that year, if, if memory and serves. You, but you mentioned you know, that night. <laughs> the yeah. decade to me was a, a decade of what-ifs and monumental change. You know, we mentioned the, the shift from the scouting to the analytics, kind of the old school to the new school. Right. There were personnel changes at the executive and, and management levels. Just a, a lot of change in the organization, but also a time of what ifs, because if they win in 2010, which they had a great team, if they win in 2011, they had a great team. That's the year I thought they really were kind of destined to win it. Um, now, all of a sudden, you're talking two World Series in, in a span of five years, and I mean... You know, what ifs? I mean, maybe a guy like Ruben Amaro survives if he gets a, his World Series championship. Two World Series in a, in a five-year span, okay? Multiple World Series. It's like the, 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 the shelf life for the manager and the general manager extend from that. I mean, they obviously extend. The grace period extends. That team should have won more than it did. There's no doubt about it. Every, all the players say that when they come back here. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy, this, uh, Jimmy Rollins this summer, they had their retirement uh, ceremonies. For Jimmy Rollins, Ryan Howard, and Chase Utley. And Jimmy flat out said, we should have won three of them. They mm -hmm. should have won three of them. John Middleton believes they should have won three of them. Uh, the managing partner. So, so I believe they should have won more. Charlie Manuel, but it just shows you how fickle baseball can yeah. be. They had a bad week. I, you mentioned the, the final night in 2011, which we want to dig into. Right. Just It's, it's seared in my memory and seared in yours, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, they had so many things going for them. In 2011, it just shows you how fickle baseball can be because in 2011, Phillies are clearly the best team in baseball. The St. Louis Cardinals are treading water furiously 10 games out in like around August 25th, 10 games out. And they go on this unbelievable run in Tony LaRusso's last year. They get in, it's like a wild card team, and they just surge to the World Series. They they, they beat the Phillies in, in, in uh, five games in the NLCS, in NLDS, and then they go on and win the World Series. I think David Fries goes crazy. Chris Carpenter pitches, uh, wins game seven. Chris Carpenter is really one of the forgotten figures of the last decade in the majors. I mean, people forget that... Like, for a couple years there, Chris Carpenter was as good as, like, anybody. He was the kind of guy who could stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with Roy Halladay. And he also had and that. he did. He sure did. That I mean, night. He, he also had that, like, um, that, like, bulldog intimidating factor about him, being another big guy. And, man, that night he just, he had the Phillies number. They did come pretty close. I mean, there was a Chase Utley at bat where he came pretty close to hitting one out. And if he hits one out there, I mean, everything changes. That night, you talk about the what-ifs of, of the decade. Uh, so many of them can be condensed into, into that night. 
So I remember the first inning of that game. If Halliday had one kind of uh, bugaboo in that 2011 season, it was oh yeah, it was leadoff hitters. It was leadoff hitters of innings and leadoff hitters of games, even more so. I want to say leadoff hitters of games that season hit 484 against Roy Halliday. Well, it was like do seven... the math on this. Yeah, leadoff hitters that season were 16 out of 33. Yeah, I think yes. Is that 484? The numbers that you remember. You, you're good on 485, numbers. sorry. Oh, okay. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> so they were 16 for 33 in the regular season. That night, Rafael Furcal leads off that game. This is oh, just to frame it up. It's game five of the NLDS. It's a Friday night, another Black Friday. It was that Black Friday in 77. And now this is Black Friday number two. I think it was the same exact date, October 7th. Eerie. So the Phillies need to win this game. It's Carpenter against Halliday. Oh, and by the way, they're both big, tall, tough, brilliant right-handers. And they're best friends. Yeah, they came up together, They're right? best friends. They came up together. Toronto. Talked to uh, Carpenter a lot about this. They used to stand in the outfield and play catch. Wondering if they'd ever be as good as Pat Henkin and Roger Clemens when they were young Blue Jays. <laughs> and, and um, you know, two young guys trying to find their ways in a rugged, rugged American League East. And really did find their ways. And here they are, matched up against each other in, in this game five. Halliday, all season long, struggles in the first inning. What happens in this must-win game? Gives up a leadoff triple to Rafael Furcal. And on the what-if side, I, I've always... I can still see this in my mind's eye. I've always wondered what happens if, if, if they can cut down for call at third base as he's legging, legging out this triple. And I still believe that maybe they could have cut, cut him down and it could have been a game changer. But Victorino airmails the cutoff man. So he's on third. Next batter, Skip Schumacher, 10 pitches. 10 pitches. Double RBI, only run of the game. Skip Halliday, the rest of the game was awesome. Carpenter, the whole game is awesome. But you mentioned what ifs. Right. In the fourth inning, they rally, they they threaten a little bit against Chris Carpenter. Raul Abanez hits one to the wall and right just missed it. I mean, one little gust of air puts that in the, in the first row of the seats, three-run home run. And then in the ninth inning, Chase Utley hits a long 400-foot uh, ball to center field. And Utley, if you remember, had bad knees at that point. And he's right. all upper body with his swing. What happens if he still has his legs? That ball's probably three or four feet over the wall. Tie game, right? I mean, there's so many what ifs on that on that night. And the night ended how? How did it end? It ended with this symbolic vignette that's seared in our brains of a, of a, of the of the end of an era. Yeah, and, and Roy Halladay never reached that level again personally. You know, that was kind of when his decline began. Carpenter made three starts the next season. He was done. And that moment I'm talking about was Ryan Howard writhing in pain after the final swing. Never was the same guy. Right. Carpenter was never the same guy. Halladay was never the same guy. Halladay had an ER made like. Um, I want to say he made 30 more starts in his career and had an ERA over five. Very unroy Halliday like his back was gone, the shoulder was gone. Was down. Every he, you know Carpenter was never the same. And like we said, Ryan Howard was never the same. And him kind of crumpling to the ground symbolizes just the end of it all. And and uh, what a what an uh, what an amazing night. Three careers were changed. It was the end of an era for for a team that excited the heck out of us. I mean, look, 300, uh, 250, 257 straight sellouts. They were in the midst of there. Just, just an, ama an, uh, an amazing night, and the, and that post-game clubhouse was another mm. um, aspect of that evening that is absolutely seared in my mind. Um, you know, watching Roy Halladay, he pitched his, you know, he pitched his guts out that night. He had, you know, 
not even a tough first inning. He gave up one run. They just didn't score. They didn't score over the final handful of weeks in that season. Their offense just disappeared. In that series, they scored 11 runs in game one of that series. Halliday gave up a couple early. Right. I remember they that came game. back and won like 11-4. Mm-hmm. They had like a seven-run yeah. sixth or something like that. In that yeah. series, they scored only 10 runs over the final four games. Um, and, you know, I think they scored 21 runs in that series and 11 of them in game one. Uh, they just didn't hit. And then game two, Cliff Lee, who was great all year, he blew a four-run lead in game two. Now, after that game five loss, Lee stood up in the clubhouse and said, put this on me. We, we sweep the series right. if I don't blow game two. He, he took accountability for that. Um, you know, that was a, a huge turning point in that series, not protecting that lead. But I remember after game five, watching Roy Halladay, he was distraught. You know, he pitched his guts out, sitting in front of his locker, just kind of was like catatonically staring into his locker because he had come to Philadelphia to try to win a World Series. I mean, that's what he wanted. He was a total team first guy, and he had pitched on this 102-win team that was destined to win a World Series, and it all just came apart on the night he pitched great, and they lost one to nothing. They didn't score. He lost to his best buddy. I mean, I just can still see him staring into that locker. I can still feel the disappointment in that clubhouse. Ryan Howard on crutchers, leaving his career never being the same as, as he blows out his Achilles, and Shane Victorino reaching into his locker. I can still see this. He reaches into his locker, and he had a strip of World Series tickets mm. for home games. And he took those tickets, and he ripped them into little bitty pieces and dropped them in the wastebasket and walked out the door. I mean, what what a what if, what a, what a missed opportunity, what a, you know, um, a gut-wrenching night for the Phillies. And, and it really carried throughout. That lingered in my opinion, throughout the decade. Oh, sure did. I mean, in that moment, Roy Halladay didn't know that, like, his his prime, his peak was over, you know? Phillies fans didn't know that their era of contention was over because think about a week earlier. A week earlier, you're thinking that team's going to win it all. You're thinking that team is built to win for multiple years. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not thinking that Roy Halladay's decline is going to set in in 2012 or that Cliff Lee is going to miss the last, the bulk of the final two years of his contract that he signed. So those declines, the fact that they were expedited, they were more rapid than you thought. Ryan Howard, you can throw into that as well. Uh, Chase Utley, you know, his, his post-2012 career None wasn't those guys were the same. not much to speak of. Um, that is why things got as bleak as they did. You know, there was the Ryan Sandberg era that is forgettable. There was the Pete McCannon era, which is, you know, I think a lot of people would remember that as like kind of the beginning of things turning around. But it wasn't, you, we can call it the Ryan Sandberg era, we can call it the Pete McCannon era. Uh, it, it, the fact that those teams didn't win was not their fault. They, oh, of course they, not. They did That's not, not have yeah. the personnel. Um, well, I mean, they were I, in a rebuild by then. Like I was telling you before we, we came to do the podcast, like 2013 through 16 or 17 for me, for the Phillies, it's all lumped together. It, it all feels like, you know, one conglomerate. It's kind of like when we remember the Sixers process teams, like the team that won 10 games. You think of all the guys that came through that you forgot about. Right. You know, there are so many of those. In fact, I'm doing a, a piece on that, like the forgotten Phillies of the decade. Uh, and they were trying to... They weren't sure, you know, what they were for for part of that time. Whether they were trying to patch um, the um, the carcass, if you will, of those great years and eke out another one, keep that window open. A lot of talk about the window, right? right? I remember as recently as February of 2014. Um, now they they did not win in 12. They did not win in 13. They did not have winning records. Um, but 
you know, on the eve of spring training, as recently of 2014, they tried to prop the window open and tried to patch it again by giving A.J. Burnett $16 million. That's like right. on the eve of um, of spring training, I'll have people tell me sometimes, oh, the rebuild began right after Harwood blew out. Rebuild began in 12. No, it didn't. They tried to win in 12. They tried to win in 13. They tried to win in 14 or else they wouldn't have gone out and signed A.J. Burnett. I remember when they signed A.J. Burnett. I've always been a big A.J. Burnett guy. I loved him in the early days of the Marlins. Um until we started having a conversation about this period, you and I, I did not remember that A.J. Burnett, that one year with the Phillies, led the majors in losses, earned runs, and walks. So that is one forgettable year. What did they give him, $16 million? He got $16 million. Yeah. Uh, and we were, had already, uh, I, I was already in Clearwater, and I think it was the day of the first workout. They, I think they just decided that, uh, let's give it one more shot with, with you know, Utley and, and Howard and, and Jimmy and um, all aging. Some had health nicks. Lee was still around. And, um, and, it, and it just didn't happen. And that was kind of what I was pointing out. They weren't sure if they were still in it or, or rebuilding. It wasn't until after that season that they committed to a complete rebuild. And it was sort of the changing of an era, the changing of the guard. Uh, we were at the winter meetings in San Diego. Jimmy Rollins was traded to uh, the Dodgers with the Phillies getting Zach Eflin. And that was the first move on the rebuild. And so Zach Eflin's still here. I mean, yeah. Zach Eflin's going to be in the 2020 rotation. Um, you know, just thinking back to that period, uh, that was another theme that has followed the Phillies over the last handful of years. They signed A.J. Burnett. They didn't get anything out of it. The next year, Burnett went to the Pirates and was great. I want to say he had a sub-3 ERA. The Phillies, when they have signed veteran free agents over the last handful of years, you think of Charlie Morton. They get him, and Morton misses the season. Morton's been great since. He blew out. He blew. I, I was at that game. He running down the first base line in Milwaukee, and his entire hamstring just pulled off the bone. I don't know. That could have happened anywhere. No, of it's course. It's unfortunate. Yeah, it's definitely. They, and uh, yeah, it would have been. Boy, what he's become. It would be great to have him around. It's just the bad luck they've encountered. Yeah. They encountered bad luck with David Robertson and Pat Neshek and Tommy Hunter. And, you know, that's another reason that this rebuild has been as long as it has. If the Phillies got more out of their draft picks, if they got more out of their free agent signings. Now. And you could say bad luck, but it just, it once again, illustrates kind of what you're um, referring to. You need to develop your own players. Yeah. So they get here. Uh, as in their 20s. So you're not relying on signing guys in their 30s who are high mileage and might be prone to those injuries that we call bad luck. Yeah, when you have a couple pitchers making $600,000, when you're able to save that money, it allows you to build a better team. And Team Toyota is kicking off a new season with safety, savings, and service. Visit teamtoyota.net to be part of the team and stay on the road to victory. So the end of this decade, Jim, it was it was you know the transition from Pete McCannon to Gabe Kapler. There was that two-year period where the Phillies... You know, they, they did have a 14-win increase in Kapler's first year. That wasn't all Gabe Kapler. That was a talent increase as well. Uh, but they just didn't make enough progress. And that leads us to this point here. Um, the Phillies have had eight consecutive non-winning seasons. I looked this up. You have to go all the way back to 1954 to 1961 was the last time the Phillies went eight straight years without a winning season. They're set up to break that string in 2020. They have a new manager. They have a better team. They have the big signing from a year ago, Bryce Harper. How, if you had to sum up like the transition from McCannon to Kapler to Girardi, how would you go about that? Good question. I, I actually think they should have had winning seasons the last two years. This thing shouldn't have had gotten to uh, eight. I mean, they've just had 
what are they, 20 and 36 the last two Septembers. They just absolutely faded and collapsed and um, at times looked completely disinterested. Um, but if I guess I've had to, you know, sum up those eras um, and, and, and in one theme, um, slow climb in terms of uh, personnel and, and the talent you're putting out there. Um, um, you know, obviously... You've had, you know, Aaron Nola's matured into a, a, you know, I know he had a tough September, but he's matured into a, a good major league pitcher. I just think, I think you're an ascending ball club. It hasn't moved um, um, quickly. Uh, and that was the goal when Matt Clintac came aboard, was to make it the quickest rebuild. Right. They've you know. moved forward, uh, made some progress. Um, in a lot of ways, they've made significant progress. Unfortunately, they're in division with the world champs and the division champs, Atlanta and Washington. Uh, but, you know, you've seen them become bigger players in free agency. You've seen them add more talent, Real Muto. You've seen them add Bryce Harper. They have Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. Uh, they hired, I think you could say, a superstar manager this year. So everything has clicked upward uh, in terms of personnel to the point where uh, I know they still have flaws, but we're reaching that no excuses time. They've well, got to crank out a winning season here. I'm glad you say that because the Phillies, after – going through a, a rebuilding period and having some players graduate to the majors who made an impact like a, a Hoskins and a Nola. Despite that, their payroll is very high again. It's, Highest it's, in club history. Yeah, I mean, it's it's right up against the luxury tax. Where they should be, commensurate with their market size. No doubt. Five, you know, four or five, six in, in Major League Baseball. No doubt. Commensurate with a, with a team that has a beautiful ballpark and puts a lot of fannies in the seats and, and has a nice TV contract. That's where they should be. But fans would hope, and I, the front office would hope, and the ownership would hope that uh, a team with this payroll would be closer to 90 wins or closer yeah. to legitimate contention. Um, so that, that, that's a good point. I've, the Phillies have come out of this rebuild, and I, frankly, there's been times I've sat and say, you know, what did they really gain from this rebuild? They haven't had that winning season yet, and, and they've, by you know, by all accounts, they've emerged from the rebuild. Um, the gain has been in you know a slow increase in, in, in personnel, and it, it's it's time to it's time to do something with it. And we see teams all the time shock people you know the minnesota twins this past season who saw them having one of the best offenses ever you know who saw them winning 95 games or i can't remember the exact number they won but like that can happen for teams from year to year you can oh, go from 81 to 91 you can stay healthy you can right. always had problems staying healthy and you can get a, a jump in performance uh, most teams get a jump in performance from like one guy two guys if you can get a jump in performance from four or five guys and you can think about it nola is you know they need him to be better he was good, but he's he's got more in there. He he can pitch closer to what he was in 2018. He had it took a, uh, a, you know, he struggled in a lot of areas in in 2019. Zach Wheeler needs to be better. They need all of their guys to be better. Harper and Realmuto need exactly. need to be better for a full season. Right. Hoskins clearly needs to be better off that second half. Um, you know, Andrew you, McCutcheon needs to be who he McCutcheon was. McCutcheon needs to be who he was, but be on the field for for six months, not right. two. If you can get those improvements. Um, on a team that was 500, you know. Plus, there's the then plus there's you have the a idea. chance to be a surprise team. Plus, there's the idea that like you know Joe Girardi, good decision making can maybe that maybe that's an extra win or two. But beyond that, the the influence of Joe Girardi and Brian Price, the influence that Brian Price may be able to have on some key young Phillies pitchers like a Pavetta, the influence uh, he has to have, right? That you're not going to be able to measure that, right? You're not going to be able to quantify that, but that could be worth several wins as well. Absolutely. It could be worth improved performance and improved performance. Um, 
should show up in the win-loss record. But they need a handful of guys to be better this year. They need a whole bunch of guys to be healthier and a whole bunch of guys to be better performance-wise. And that's how you become a surprise team, you know? That's, yep. And so that really sums up the Phillies' decade, as you said, what-ifs and the major transitionary periods. And we're going to write all about that at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com over this holiday period. He's Jim Salisbury. I'm Corey Seidman. Thanks for listening to At the, At the Yard, presented by Team Toyota. Catch you next week. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.